Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Can you believe this? Looking to push tempo here, the Pelicans. Hold that follow through. That's right. This is what takes you to another level. What the Pell is up, everybody? This is Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans, but you already knew that. I am your host, Elliot Clough. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you missed yesterday's episode, talked a little bit about LaMarcus Aldridge, his injury that will leave him out for the rest of the season and the playoffs, so the Spurs effectively out of the playoffs. Andrew Lopez recent tweets and, and updates on the roster. My thoughts on Kenny Hustle, and there's an article out on said thoughts as well. They're over on the Bird Rights, and a little bit more. Talked about a little bit more on yesterday's podcast as well. And today we have got one of our most high-profile guests thus far, Ali Cosell, editor and chief of the bird rights with SB Nation. Awesome stuff today with Ollie. We went over a lot of that stuff that I had mentioned previously. We've also got some other updates in terms of players possibly not really wanting to participate in this regular season playoff scenario that we've got going on going forward for the NBA. Uh, talk about options to go forward other than Kenny Hustle and some other stuff related to the Pelicans bench and the Pelicans future. So really fun podcast today with Ollie Cosell of the Bird Rights. Stick around. It's going to be fun. All right, we are joined by Ollie Cosell of the Bird Rights and SB Nation. Super excited to have Ollie today. Ollie just put together an article on the Bird Rights that we'll be talking about a little bit today. Also just joined Propel's talk, and he's been on the scene with the Bird Calls as well. So we greatly, greatly appreciate Ollie stopping by today. How are you doing today, boss man? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me, Elliot. Yeah, I've caught some of your pods. Love what you do, and I'm glad that you are on our team. So, yeah, this is good. Well, thank you, sir. I'm very happy to be a part of the team. Happy to network with some other Pels guys. Having a blast right now. The podcast, trending upwards and getting some attention on, on Twitter. Whether whether it's positive attention or not, that is up in the air. But we've been getting attention uh, nonetheless. So, dive right in today with you, Ollie. You made sure to point out in this recent article that you put together for the Bird Rights um, in terms of the Pelicans' chances to make the playoffs, to get that eight spot or nine spot, you made sure to point out that all the teams that are going to be going into the remainder of this regular season, these 22 games, or 20, excuse me, 22 teams playing eight games, you made sure to point out that these teams are probably going to be pretty rusty. Uh, and we've seen that at the beginning of seasons previous as well, um, including the year that we had that lockout, including just basically every year that we get into basketball in general. But these players are probably going to be rusty. These teams are going to be rusty come playoff time, come these next two games, sorry, next eight games. How long do you think it takes the Pels to get into a groove uh, going forward into these next few games? You know, I mean, that that's a great question, you know, and every team, of course, wants to hear an answer that says soon or quick, right? But you really don't know, and that, that was the point of my article. Basically, every season, you start off with sloppier play. That's just the way things work. Now, this will be more interesting because the games obviously mean so much more, right? It's going to be playoff atmosphere for all the all the teams trying to get into just a playing term or grab an eighth or a ninth seed. So will they be more focused? Will they take less chances? You know, you don't know. But just, just like I said, based on history, teams are just generally rusty because the chemistry is not there. When you have such long layoffs, you're apart from teammates, it's invariable that – you know, things are going to get degraded, right? You're not going to know exactly where your man is or when you should cut. 
But I think this all benefits the Pelicans because they're used to playing this kind of chaotic environment to where they want to push the pace as fast as possible. And if you notice, they had probably roughly the same amount of uh, turnovers as they did in the first eight games of this season as compared to the rest of the year, to where most teams saw significant drop-offs. So that just tells you they've, they've lived with the mistakes. They've played through them. So I just feel like this benefits them because everybody else suddenly is going to have more mistakes. They're going to stay on that same level. And this faster place, plus the fact that we'll probably get into it, but, but they score a lot of easy points. They get to the free-throw line. They shoot more than any other team when they've got Zion line up inside the restricted area. So when you can score that easily and not have to rely on, you know, running a set offense, shooting long-range jumpers, basically being in a groove, I think that just that, that really helps a team like the Pelicans who don't need all that. They don't require that for t- them to be successful. So it'll be interesting. But like I said, when you dig deep, it, this, this whole format in Orlando, the way it's setting up, it looks like it's really going to be in the New Orleans Pelicans' favor. To boot, in terms of advantages for the Pelicans, they've just got so many weapons. You know, it, it's one night it's Drew, one night it's Brandon Ingram, next night it's Zion. And throughout this entirety of the season, in terms of chaos, beginning of the season, Pelicans didn't have Derek Favors, didn't have Zion Williamson. Zion got thrown into the lineup in the most recent uh, 20 games. And prior to that, we had injuries to Brandon Ingram. I think they've just been going through chaos all season. So this is really nothing new to them. Yeah, you nailed it on the head. I felt like when Favors was around, like in the first couple games of the year, and then when he came back in this year, he didn't look at all like the Derek Favors we saw in Utah, the one that was healthy, being able just to move on the court better. And so that really hurt when you didn't have Zion. So when you're suddenly missing, you're starting power forward and center in a league where, you know, there's such a huge drop-off between actual legitimate starters and replacement players. And then you consider, the, you know, just the pace. Everything goes into a game. Missing two guys that you're starting lineup, that automatically puts you behind the eight ball. And as you mentioned, the Pelicans have suffered through, you know, injuries, not just to those two players. Ingram has had a banged-up knee for close to a month to two, the last two months before the suspension. Uh, J.J. Redick missed a good deal of time. Drew Holiday missed some time. Lonzo Ball did as well. So basically up and down the roster, somebody was missing at some point, it feels like. <laughs> that's that's so incredibly accurate. I'm I'm laughing, but it's like almost not even funny. Um, You're laughing with tears. I know that. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Pels know that feeling all too well, um, especially early on this season. That six and twenty-two start. But um, in terms of going forward, in terms of how the Pels play the remainder of this regular season. Have you heard anything in terms of what kind of shape Zion is in? We've talked about it uh, on the podcast a little bit, talked about it more specifically yesterday. Uh, Andrew Lopez tweeted that Zion is ready to go. Have you heard anything in reference to Zion? This whole time I've heard he's been working out and that he's looked good. So between, you know, you saw an interview with Ernie Johnson uh, on TNT in late April. He talked about what he was doing and, and you could see him physically yourself. And he looked a little thinner in the face to me. And I think a lot of people also notice that. But he has been able to work out. Thanks to his injury, certain players, when the uh, actual teams applied for uh, rehab, special privileges to where players could come in and work on their body's conditioning uh, while everything else was shut down due to the coronavirus, these guys were allowed in, and Zion was one of those guys. So he's been able to stay up to par, and, and I think that's probably going to make all the difference in the world. He's going to be able to hit this gr- the ground running in Orlando as to where before, say he hadn't had that access, you know, you would be worried about maybe him gaining some weight. You would be worried about him going suddenly from zero to 100 when you saw all the precautions that the Pelicans were taking and bringing him back uh, from the knee injury, right? He's just a bigger man. You have to take more precautions with the face of the future, right? A generational talent. So I, I think this bodes well. But everything I've been hearing, yeah, Elliot, it sounds really positive. We're going to be surprised by how good this guy's moving on the court. Personally, and I'm speaking on behalf of basically all Pelicans fans, I'm sure when I say this, I'm not just so freaking excited for basketball to start. I'm so excited to see a healthy Zion. I mean, he's been able to do rehab, which you can you – can, uh, attest to his fitness and and what he's been doing over break but if anything with the massive body that he's had or that he has it's huge that he's been able to do rehab throughout this time as well yeah and here's the other thing people need to remember when he came back yeah he put up 24 points 
seven rebounds, shot almost 60% from the field. He wasn't 100% for most of those games, right? Just like Lonzo Ball took several months to get ready before you start hearing him late December, hey, I'm getting my legs back underneath me. And so all of a sudden his play took off, right? His numbers improved. Well, Zion, he had the same thing in terms of not having those legs underneath him, but, yeah, he performed. So what I'm going to be curious to see is, how much better is he going to perform? Because he was held back. He said he couldn't really jump as high as he normally does and move on the court and had to basically take plays <laughs> off, right, to where I shouldn't push myself on every play. That's what the coaching staff told him. Well, suddenly, let's, let's say all those barriers are removed. We may see an even more explosive Zion doing more incredible things. So, man, I'm just as amped as you guys. I am very curious to see what this guy's going to be able to do in Orlando. And remember, he's still got two more months, right? We're not starting tomorrow. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, you don't want to put expect, expectations too high, or, or you know what I mean. But with what he was able to do, jumping just right in the middle of the season when everybody else had a three-month head start, and for him to post the numbers he did, and he didn't feel 100%, man, I'm just telling you, I think we're going to see something even more special. Now, you guys talked about it on the bird calls, you, Preston Ellis, and David Grubb. Do you think there's going to be any minutes restriction, given that he's been able to work out, given that he's been able to do rehab, at least – in those first few games for, for Zion to get tuned up? Do you think there'll be like a 25, 30-minute game restri- uh, minutes restriction? I'll be honest, I don't. I think with Aaron Nelson working with him probably almost, you know, four or five times a week, I mean, for how many months now, and he's the guy that's in charge of, you know, basically monitoring and re- restricting him. And the fact that those early restrictions when he first came back got lifted so quickly, right? He went from playing, what was it, 18 minutes against the Spurs, and you saw it ramp up really quickly to where he was playing 30 minutes, I think, about five games in. If he was able to do that, and if he's been working out now under the watchful eye, under one of the best in the business, Aaron Nelson, and and the rest of his staff, I don't think there's going to be any restrictions. The only one you could possibly foresee, Elliot, is if on the back-to-back, right? We've been told there's going to be at least probably one back-to-back. You could see maybe New Orleans err on the side of caution in that scenario, but the rest, no. I think he's going to be playing over 30 minutes in all the games except, like I said, for maybe one back-to-back. Hmm. That, that'll be, yeah, that'll be good in, in terms of health for, for everyone. But uh, speaking of fitness and everything, did you see the picture of, uh, of uh, Nikola Jokic today? <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. You <sighs> mentioned like wonder, a... is he sick? I mean, I hate to say, he looks that much thinner when, when he's not playing, right? Not moving up and down the court. It's like, what are you doing, dude? Get me on that health plan. I mean, I'm pretty skinny, but <laughs> that's it was pretty. Well, I mean, you remember you, how he started the season, how heavy he looked, right? Yeah, that's right. A big difference. Yeah, I'm. I mean, as far as I know, I don't follow the Nuggets, you know, near to the extent that I follow the Pelicans. But he's not necessarily the most injury prone guy in the world. But that's a big body moving up and down the floor and, and not getting hurt. No, I know. And one thing we got to give to his credit, though, he did lose a lot of weight during the season while it was going on, right? There was a big difference between game one of the season and right before the shutdown. I know, though, the picture, it shows that he's lost a little bit more. The only thing you worry about in that scenario, and I've been told by this from trainers all over, if you lose too much weight, what are you losing exactly? Because you could mm-hmm. lose muscle. You can lose those protective tendons, the strength in them, right? That was always the biggest concern was Zion. Everybody wants to cut his weight down. But every doctor, everybody that I know that's a specialist said, you, you can only take his weight down so far before you're actually increasing his risk for injury because the rest of, you know, his protective gear in the body, so to speak, is going to be weaker. So that's, you know, I mean, granted, Jokic isn't a, a 300-pound you know, <laughs> boulder of right. your muscle like Zion is. But, again, even with his stature, you still worry about it. So I'm sure the Denver Nuggets, they've got top, you know, medical staff and trainers and such. So they'll be able to look into it. But, yeah, this is the one thing, Elliot, with somebody like Jokic. You know, I always thought he kind of used that girth to his advantage, especially banging down low. How will this affect his game now? You know, you know mm-hmm. he'll be able to get up and down the court. But, man, he's a center. He has to bang in the, in the paint. How will he handle some of the bigger size in the league now at that looks like a lot lighter frame? That's true. That's a good question. I think, I mean – He's obviously an incredible passer for his size, so that's going to be – that won't be diminished by any means, but in terms of playing down low, that's a, that's a good point. I think uh, that gives an advantage to, to Derek Favors should they match up at any point in the playoffs, which would be in the Western Conference Finals probably. Or, well, I don't, I don't even know, know where they would work. meet. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> so far down the road. Right. 
but you bring up a good name. I think you should talk. We should talk about or mention at least Derek Favors. Because as, as as I just said, he didn't look 100%. We heard that he has taken a lot of this time during this downtime to rest his body. And then he started working on his conditioning. So I think there's a great, great chance that we'll see Derek Favors at his healthiest too when the season returns. And boy, I think that would be huge, right? They rely yeah. on him so much, right? Yeah. Oh. You know, defensively. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. If he's now able to move a little bit more and has more explosion, that's going to make the Pelicans that much better. I mean, just watching him go up and down the floor this season, he looked like he's 28, but he looked like an old 28-year-old. He looked like a 38-year-old. I'm, yeah. I'm, you're not kidding. For half the games, he had no lift for most of the year. And I was commenting that on Twitter, I remember. There was really just no explosion whatsoever. He's never been a high leaper, you know, but he had some explosion. And there was just barely any at all this year. Right. And I think that bodes well, not only for uh, the, the coming playoffs uh, and, and regular season games, but the likelihood that he gets re-signed. Do, do, you, do you desire, do you, do you want uh, Derek to be brought back next year? Do you think he'll be brought back next year? 110% yes. And I think okay. he will for sure. I think the Pelicans will go that route. It makes all the sense in the world. They have his uh, bird rights. And so with Caps, it's going to be non-existent to begin with, but in fact, the salary caps are going to be coming down most likely. There's going to be something done. Maybe the NBA is going to help buffer in terms of not letting all the losses uh, financially affect it. Still, everything's going to be lower, but it's essentially you want the Pelicans to spend money where there's greater need, and so they'll just have exceptions to use, and you don't want to spend the $8 million or whatever the full mid-level ends up being on a replacement for Favors. No, you resign them. Because he impacted winning. You know, I had this talk with Antonio Daniels. People are given grief about possibly seeing Derek Favors resign. Well, guess what? The Pelicans' starting lineup was the best in terms of those, team, uh, those five-man lineups that played 200 minutes or more, right? They had that much a better uh, advantage from, uh, in points, offensive defense. So Derek Favors was a big part of that. And when he was in the lineup, you saw the holes, right? Julio Okafor, Jackson Hayes, they, they can't handle it or weren't ready. So they need to re-sign him. I think they will. And I think they'll get him at something cheaper. He's making $17 million this year, but I think they can get him for probably about two years, $25 million, somewhere in that range, maybe go up to 28 And then I think that would be fair. I think they're going to need somebody to fill in those minutes for at least a couple more years because Jackson Hayes, he still has a long ways uh, to go before he can be entrusted to carry big starting-type minutes. Definitely. And uh, for favors – I think he's at a point in his career where he's not necessary. I mean, there's guys at the end of their career where they just want to load up prior to retirement. And, and Favors is in a position to where, I mean, he's made plenty of money in his NBA career. And now it's about winning. I think now it's about going out and winning an NBA title for Favors. And, and not necessarily that the Pelicans give him the best chance in the entire league, but they give him a pretty solid chance with this young core, at least in the extended future. Yeah, there's not a lot of teams out there that would probably even give him the starting job, right? The opportunity that he has here in New Orleans. And the fact that he, everything from I've heard, he's, he loves it here. He loves the guys in the locker room. He loves being a mentor uh, to, to the youngsters on the squad. Um, it seems like a perfect scenario. And, and I just think that, you know, you need some veterans. You need some of these guys that are going to be transition type of players for when the young core grows. You need vets still with them to help the team advance, right? You, you, these guys aren't ready for the limelight or to carry any kind of load. So you need the Drew Holidays, the J.J. Reddick, and the Derek Favors. So I, th- I think it's just, it works in both favor, favors for both Derek Favors <laughs> and the Pelicans. I did not mean to go that route, but it came out that way. <laughs> uh, we got there. That's okay. Um, I, I agree with you. Definitely, definitely. Um, I think that favors i mean he probably likes being in the limelight a little bit too because over the last few years in utah it's been he's the he's the guy who's not rudy gobert you know um so so i, I think uh this is i mean this is great for uh jackson hayes as well to to to, con- to continue to develop um and learn a little bit especially on the defensive side of the ball beef up a little bit and uh before he's thrusted into the starting lineup um but speaking of Big men in the NBA. You, you probably know that LaMarcus Aldridge is out for the rest of the regular season, uh, listeners. But, Ali, do you think this effectively takes the Spurs out of contention for that uh, 
eight nine position, eight nine ten position. Absolutely, and I know what Greg Popovich can do with probably any cast of players you give him. And the fact that San Antonio has what not missed a playoffs in twenty two years, something along those lines. But losing Lamarcus when the team was already, you know, they they, they were subpar. They started off pretty well this year. I, I can't remember exactly, but I want to say they came out of the gates like five and three. Somewhere, somewhere along the lines, but ever since then, it, it's just been steadily downhill. They just don't have enough talent on that team to compete. And when you lose their, the best player, um, you, you just don't see it, right? I mean, he put up 32 points, 14 rebounds in, in Zion's debut to really push the Spurs to the win in that game, right? They got some really timely shoot, shooting, I remember, from Bellinelli and several others. But LaMarcus was such a constant, you know. And, and if you remove him... You know, I just don't see it, man. I know Pops can do – he's a miracle worker, but they just don't have enough. So you you effectively, I think, have to remove them from legitimate talk and trying to grab that playoff uh, – playing uh, spot on, on either the eighth or ninth seed in that tournament. That should happen, right? Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there. I, I mean, they got DeMar DeRozan, and I mean, give Patty Mills and – Dejounte Murray, as much credit as you want, but it's just not—it's just not to the degree that the, as far as talent goes, to the degree that the Blazers have, or or the Pelicans, or the Grizzlies, or I mean, you know, two score 110 points a game, right on average now in the NBA. Where are they where are the Spurs going to get those points from? <sighs> You're asking the wrong guy. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure like they're that. asking themselves that right now. <laughs> Right, right. Looking at that schedule, they did start off five and three, six and three. If you want to add in that that extra victory, but then they lost one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games in a row. So uh, that was a quick fall off. And in that series, where that uh, amount of games where they went six and three, their wins were against the Knicks, the Wizards the trailblazers, the uh, warriors, and then they actually beat the thunder. But um, that this is just not the classic Spurs teams that we've seen from the past. And, and you said it, Popovich is noted for being able to get a lot out of, you know, <laughs> a paperclip and a rubber band on his bench, but it's just not there this year. You've got to have talent and the talent just isn't there other than DeMar DeRozan. And he's a mid range shooter in a three-point and, and dunk league. So uh, you're not just not going to get uh, that quite out of the Spurs this year. Now, I think I heard you talk about it on Pro Pels Talk this week. Do you believe the Trailblazers are, are a threat to the Pelicans in that 8-9 spot? I know they've got that advantage in terms of win percentage, but do you think that the Trailblazers are a legitimate spot or in a legitimate position to take over the Pelicans? Yeah, my biggest fear is that the Grizzlies you know, hold water and they win either three or four of those eight games. So basically neither, nobody chasing them is going to overtake them for that eighth seed. So it all comes down to the ninth. And you already mentioned the Pelicans are effectively one game in back of Portland. So they got to win one additional game. And, and when you just factor in what Damian Lillard does in clutch time minutes, you know, he led Portland last year, the Western conference finals has Portland in the playoffs six straight years. And you know C.J. McCollum is a certifiable 20, 25, maybe even 30 points a game, depending on the scenario. And you're getting Yusuf Nurkic back. They fully expect him healthy and ready to go. Their starting center, who I think was their third best player last year in their run. So him being out for the entire season really hurt them. And they also had Zach Collins go out, I think, first or second week of this season. And he's a really good um, bench player, kind of, kind of provides what Melly does, but differently. He's a better defender, but he's not as good of a three-point shooter. But, again, he's a big piece to what they do. So when you're getting suddenly that much healthier, you've given Dame some rest, CJ some rest, and all that experience they have, and you give them one game edge, yeah, that, that's my biggest fear. That's going to be the biggest obstacle for New Orleans in getting in the playing term and hopefully the playoffs. You said Nurkic is probably the third best, best player in Portland. He might be one of the more underrated players in the league. That dude brings a lot of valuable or value to the table. Yeah, I do. And it's funny, from New Orleans' perspective, you wouldn't figure it, right? Because two years ago in the playoffs, Anthony Davis and what New Orleans did, uh, you know, both to Dame and Nurkic, it, it was incredible. But, no, he, he's a much better player than just that little four-game glimpse you got. And, right. um, you know, I, I just think that 
boy, the only thing you wonder about is he may not be sharp, right? Hasn't played all year, but from what I heard, conditioning standpoint, he's going to be 100%. So if he can get going, because he's a good passer, right? He knows how to get Damian open, right? He's great for screen and rolls, and he's a, he's a good defender, good rebounder. So he brings a lot more to the table than Hassan Whiteside. <laughs> yeah, which is not I necessarily like that, right? that <laughs> not necessarily that difficult to do. Hassan Whiteside is one of those uh, OG centers, centers from the '80s, basically, where he can uh, post up down low and 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 maybe do a little bit. But, but oh, he's taking again. blocks and rebounds, man. He, right. He's such a me first guy. I mean, I hate to say that. that yeah. That's the reason why nobody likes him. Teammates have had issues with him, you know. He's just looking for himself and making that, you know, cashing that big check. I mean, that's yep. the word around the league. That's not me saying it. Everybody sure. kind of knows that about him. I mean, take the quote that he had when he first started to uh, rise to stardom in, I well, geez, I, I don't know how long ago it was, but that interview after the game, he had some stupid stat line, like 20 and 20 or something like that. And he said, oh, I'm just trying to improve my 2K rating, which at the time was oh, pretty yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah, I forgot but, about that. I mean, that just falls into to that description right there. No, no, I was just going to say also, it, it's kind of funny how Joel Embiid, right, he always makes it a, his mission to destroy him whenever they square up and match up. So, yeah, Whiteside's not too liked around the league. <laughs> right, just yeah. leave it at that. <laughs> so, speaking of, you know, not-so-skilled guys, <laughs> what type of minutes do you suppose that Kenrich Williams will be getting now that he's healthy, now that we're entering the playoffs. And actually, I'm going to rescind that question. I just put together that article on on uh, the bird rights that, that came out today. What were your thoughts on the article? I know you said when I brought the idea up to you that we, we needed to get something like that on the site. Um, what, what were your thoughts on, on the article? No, it's timely because you couldn't have been more correct in your assessment that Kenrich did not show the Pelicans enough this year. He's in a contract year. This team is suddenly laden with talent. They've got a lot of incoming picks. So anybody that's going to be even towards, you know, the end of bench and they're cheap on cheap contracts, they have to prove themselves because this, this team's really going places. So you have to be a contributor. You have to be able to show growth. And he took a huge step back, right? His confidence went from maybe 30% to 0%. And, and you noted the, that beautifully in the article by where, his percentages just fell off a cliff from last year to the start of this year to where he basically ended up before he, uh, what he hurt his back, I think sometime in early January, late December, whenever that was. So, yeah, I mean, these eight games are so crucial for him just to get a glimpse and prove himself that, Hey, I, I need to tease the Pelicans that I'm really better than what I showed. And this is who I really am. So the biggest question though, and you were getting ready to ask me this though, will he get minutes? And you know, I, I find it really hard to see, I mean, outside of some maybe some matchup based um, scenarios, you don't think he's going to make that tighter um, playoff type of rotation that Alvin Gentry is likely to employ. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, this team goes eight, nine deep. I think it'd be forcing it to throw to throw Kenrich Williams in there. Yeah. So you got the starters, Ellie. Then who you got off the bench? Because my first three is Reddick, Harton, and Melly. Right. Right. I mean, Jackson Hayes. To throw him in there, get a, get yeah, a few yeah, minutes. Yeah, get some minutes. But I'm saying overall, I just know that you know coaches like to go to eight, rarely even nine in playoff, like must win type scenarios. So unless right. he thinks Jax can do something just for a minute or two, I don't think he'll even barely get on the court. Fair enough. And, and I guess I'm thinking uh, if if players aren't necessarily super fit uh, uh, to start that's the season, even, yeah, that's going to be what gets them maybe on the court, right? Especially in the back sure. to back, is, is right. watching minutes of these guys, right? Exactly. And you made reference to those statistics. And if you want to see more stuff, you can check out the article on the bird rights. But this is just this has to be noted. The guy shot 37.5% from the free throw line this year and 26% from three. That is atrocious. That's not an NBA player. I mean, let's be real. I know it's small sample size and all, but man, I just you saw the way his uh, confidence bottomed out. I mean, look at his splits in December. I'm trying to bring it up right now, but I remember it being like even worse than what you just read to me. Yeah. So for in 283 minutes in December, he shot 20.8% from the field, 13.5% from the three-point range, and 20% from the free throw line. I mean, 
Wow. You can't play a guy like that. I don't care what he gives you defensively or on the glass. You just can't play that big of a net zero. Or I should say negative. What am I saying? Zero. He's that right, big yeah. negative uh, <laughs> offensively. Yeah. You know, I, I tried to to give him a little bit of a niche in, in the in the article for what he, he could provide that, you know, w- what the Pelicans need right now. I think I think that's their glare, most glaring need on that on the roster as it's currently constructed is a Dennis Rodman type. And I just don't I don't trust him to do that because in a position like that, you have to be confident in your abilities. If there's any position, I mean, that that's a big that's a big position where you got to be confident to throw your body around, get after loose balls and be intense. And I just don't see him bringing that to the table. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. I mean, look, the coaches have to play to win 100 percent. There's no more development that's going to be upcoming. So you're right. It, It. if he doesn't get on the court with those uh, when when other players need to rest just simply because they don't want to overtax these guys that are just coming back from such a long layoff, then it's just so hard to foresee any scenario where he's going to be given even a chance to prove himself. Right. right. And, and so with that said, going forward, do you think the Pelicans go out into free agency to, to get a guy like that? Or, or do you think they roll uh, going into this next season? Do you think they try to go with Zylan Sheetham or Didi Luzada? Well, you're going to need to replace exactly what you wrote about. I think you, you desperately need a guy that's at least 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, up to like 6'9", who can at least somewhat get in front of a Giannis or LeBron James, even a Paul George. These longer guys, and I wrote an article about that, I want to say like a month ago, and these, these taller multifaceted big-time scores, they destroyed the Pelicans. Yeah, they're all-stars, and they put up these great averages, but when you looked at the numbers, they were even that much better, and they barely even missed, right? I mean, it was some insane stuff. Jason Tatum, Pascal Siakam, they all took the Pelicans to the woodshed because they had nobody that could stay in front of them. Brandon Ingram, he's still still too slight a frame. You hope that someday he gets a little bit stronger, puts a little bit more weight on. And, of course, Zion wasn't around, and even when he came back, you, you couldn't throw him out in the fire like that because this guy's just learning where he should be positioning himself in the most fundamental basic of stances and positioning. So to ask him to selling guard LeBron James isn't going to happen. So they do need to sign somebody. I've got my eyes on maybe somebody like even Maurice Harkless. Um, I, I've read and heard good things about him. You need to get somebody that's going to be in the price range, which is going to be the Pelicans mid-level. But yeah, they're going to have to address that, you know, that, that spot on the roster. And I just don't think you can bring Kenrich back. I, yeah, same. And, and I I think it'd be uh, a good article idea, and, and I'll run this by it later, <laughs> but uh, to think of guys who could fill that role this upcoming year. We talked about it prior uh, on, on the podcast as well with uh, Justin Napoli. He had mentioned Myers Leonard, um, and, and then uh, a name that I just saw at the top of this list of free agents is Serge Ibaka. Now, I doubt that he leaves the Pelicans. He's also getting paid, or sorry, the, the Raptors. He's also getting paid $21 million this year. So he's not necessarily going to be in that price range. But I, I saw the name Mo Harkless. I like that a lot as well. Um, and, and then Myers Leonard. And now I put this in the article just to make reference to what Kenrich Williams could be or what we would desire him to be for the Pelicans. And I said Andre Roberson. Like the super worthless on 2K, but provides a lot of value uh, on the defensive end of the floor in in the league. Do you think it'd be worth it to try to go out and get a guy like Roberson and pay him that mid-level exception, considering he's coming off that ACL injury? No, honestly, I don't. I think you need to get somebody a little bit more proven. Uh, Coming off major injury, uh, that's just such a huge red flag for me. Having watched New Orleans for so many years and, and dealing with those type of players, that seemingly never worked out. You know, this is the land of where, you know, if you weren't hurt, you were going to get hurt. But if you were already hurt, then we weren't going to see a sudden rebirth, right? So, <laughs> no, I think it's best to stay away from this type of gamble, especially if, if you've got other options. Like So that's why I point out Maurice Harkless, because he's got a track record, both in Portland and with the Clippers, before they unceremoniously cast him to the Knicks um, last season in a trade where he played, like, meaningless minutes, right? But... Before that, everybody raved about his intensity. And what he could do is also shoot the three-point ball a little bit. So I, I feel like that's who you need to chase. So Roberson, he won't give you even that three-point shot. And in today's NBA, like I said, you you can't have somebody not producing at all on that end, right? You need them to be able to do at least one thing. 
And to boot, Mo Harkless is 27 years old. So he's got a few more years left of, of his prime. Um, and then another name that I've been hearing a lot uh, in terms of filling that void would be Jay Crowder, who is 30 years old, but he's only making $7 million this year. So probably could fill that that position uh, in terms of, of cap space. Is he a guy that you think would be good? I think so, from everything I've heard. I know that he won kind of a bigger role in a few of his previous stops, so that gives you a little bit of cause for concern because whoever comes in, it's going to be not handed, like, say, a Josh Hart role where you're going to see, on average, 25, 26, 27 minutes a game. So, I don't know. It has to be the guy that's going to fit whatever role he's going to be given, right? He's got to come in with the mentality of, I feel like Derek Favors exhibits. So I, I again I don't I'm, I don't want to say yes or no to Drake Crowder because I don't know for certain, but yeah, on, on his face he looks like a good guy because when he's been on successful teams, boy he's been really good and he is a bulldog. So yeah, you want that kind of guy. I hope the New Orleans Pelicans look and add somebody like him if it's not him. And three point shooting never never hurts. Adding a little bit of that from from Jay Crowder as well. Now now looking to the future, uh, I did mention Zylan and Didi. And I've been hearing a lot about Zylan uh, on Twitter. People think he's got a high ceiling. And, of course, Didi uh, Griff absolutely is in love with Didi Luzada. What are you thinking that the Pels will get from these two next year? Well, I think that Didi will probably be given a chance at least to be brought to training camp to earn himself a roster spot. Uh, I'm not 100% certain that they're just going to go ahead and give him a contract and bring him in because, you know, while he did do fairly well in Australia this past year, he had his ups and downs. And when you watch, I watched some footage, and I just don't feel like he's there yet. But again, you're not bringing him over to be, I think, a 30-minute type of guy. I think you can bring him along maybe in that Frank Jackson type of role. Uh, again, Frank Jackson, he's a, he's a guy that maybe needs to be talked about whether he'll come back. But I think there is space for Didi because one thing I've heard about him, he has, he may be the toughest guy, one of the toughest guys if they were to bring him over already automatically on this roster, he's honestly, he has no fear. He plays with no fear. And you saw that in the summer league, right? And you, you saw that a little bit in the NBL too. So I think he, I think he makes all the sense in the world. If they see that in him and they can see that he can handle his own in other areas, then yeah, he makes for a smart signing. As for uh, Zillan Cheatham, I want to believe in this guy and I know what he did in the G league. But I'll tell you what, I keep going back to what I did see in Summer League, and I was thoroughly disappointed after reading a lot about what he did over, I think it was Arizona State, right? He had a nice four-year career. He even uh, progressed enough to where he had a really, it seemed like a potent three-point shot. But in, in Summer League, he, he just didn't do much. You know, he was always out of place a little bit, couldn't shoot the ball. He was even missing, like, finger rolls. But, you know, it is Summer League. You write it off to maybe somebody being a little nervous, a little too amped up. So, I just hope that he does show a little bit more, but you know, he's going to have to earn it. He's one of those guys that he has to earn. They can play on this level because everybody can play in the G league and other areas and, and look really explosive, explosive and good doing it. But can they also do that in the NBA? So I think he'll be given a chance to come next training camp, but I'm curious to see if he actually does earn a spot because I, I, I can't lean one way or the other yet on him. Fair enough. And I've just been seeing about how, He's the next guy, and I was just like, I'm a little skeptical. If he's the next guy, was it? Why isn't he playing right now? You know? Yeah, I mean, he went undrafted, so I mean, he, he's not a, no shoe in. I, I don't know why anybody would call him a shoe in. Yeah, <laughs> right, it, it's yeah. just I think people getting a little ahead of themselves, getting excited. You know, it, it's always easy to hope and project, right? Oh, so easy. Yeah, especially when you're when you've been a a ride or die fan for the Pels and there hasn't been a whole lot of hope in the last uh 10 or so years. Um but uh now looking uh back to the the situation at hand, we've been hearing that coaches over the age 65 uh and older might not be allowed to uh play in in the playoffs or at play <laughs> uh, might not be able to coach during the playoffs and, and the remainder of this regular season because of the coronavirus. So it's looking like Chris Finch might be a stand-in come uh, these eight games and the playoffs. What What are your thoughts with, with Chris Finch probably going to be taken over here, or maybe taken over? Well, I, I honestly, I'll just address it right now. I don't think that's going to happen. I really, truly think that Alvin is going to be there in Orlando if the game starts. 
I know that there was that concern about his age, but I think the NBA has really backed off of that stance to where they're just looking at age as being just a single denominator, and whether somebody goes to Orlando. It really matters, I think, your health, right, up and your track record and predisposition and any pre-existing conditions that a player, or excuse me, any personnel that's going to attend this bubble has. So from what I understand, Alvin doesn't have any. And he was really adamant and upset when this news first came out. And he claims he's 100% and he's not at any greater risk than anybody younger than him. So I think that's exactly the route the NBA is going to go. And they're going to allow these types. As long as, like I said, there's no, no skeleton right sitting in the closet where it may be a problem. <laughs> then I think they will allow even coaches over the age of 65. Fair enough. And you can't blame him for being upset like that. Been there through the whole season, dedicated to this team. And and from what we can tell as members of the media, he's beloved by the, by the players. He's a, he's a player's coach. Yeah, you're a hundred percent right. Everybody loves Alvin across the league from media to, you know, the players, as you just mentioned to other coaches, league office you know alvin's got a lot of positions within the league office serving on a, a bunch of committees his va- uh, opinion is highly valued across this league and everybody just loves him he's such a great dude at the end of the day and i'll admit it i've never talked to somebody of his stature and position to where he's so easygoing so likable and so revealing uh to somebody that he really doesn't even know he, he's that with like that way with whether he's just seen you once in the media session or a bunch of times like myself so He's just a great, great guy. Hmm. Good stuff. Well, one more question for you before we let you go, Ollie. There's been some rustling throughout the league about whether certain players, I, I, they haven't named any names, but I can't remember the number that's on it right now either, but a good portion of players aren't necessarily super excited about this idea of playing in Orlando in this bubble. What do you, what do you make of that? Well, I think it's, probably uh, should be should have been foreseeable for any number of reasons, right? You, you're bringing in teams that don't realistically have a good um, chances or odds, whatever you want to call it, of just even making these playing tournaments. So Phoenix Suns, Washington Wizards, and especially guys towards the end of those benches, I mean, why should they have to ramp up, leave their families for what would be at least six, seven weeks, and then put themselves, you know, at risk of contracting the coronavirus while this world has all this, you know, racial issues that it has to go through and figure out. So for a variety of reasons, yeah, players are just hesitant on going into inside this bubble to where some say, you know, might have to stay for two and a half months while, like I said, a pandem- pandemic's going on, or, and then they would be worried possibly about having to bring their families in because you know they're going to want to. Even even though you may be putting them at risk, I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody wants to sit there alone for up to two and a half months when it could only be seven weeks. And like I said, th- these times are, are just so unusual because of all this, you know, and rightly, rightly slow. All the racial injustices have come to the forefront. And so players now are looking at this. Are we doing maybe a disservice by starting up and playing games while this is all going on in the background? Fortunately, though, th- th- there's some voices now coming out. For instance, I think Garrett Temple, he revealed something very reve- revealing today, one of the good veterans in the league. And he's also the vice president of the National Players, uh, National Basketball Players Association. And he said, basically, look at it this way. If you want to really help out African, fellow African-Americans, the thing you could do is actually go out and earn that paycheck. Don't say no to that money because there's so few that uh, of their like um, and black Americans have a position where they can make that type of money. And, and then you can also do so much good with that because he pointed to look what LeBron's doing and others. So I, I think that at the end of the day, it's just players were talking and, and voicing their concerns over a wide range of issues. You know, everybody's going to be worried about starting up something unprecedented while living in such unprecedented times. So I think it all worked out, though. You know, this is a very cohesive league. Adam Silver runs a really good ship. And so I think they'll, they'll figure it all out. At the end of the day, the players are going to want their money. They'll probably feel satisfied with it you know, being such an increased risk both for health, safety, and, of course, just just looking like, you know, not being the best of images in the public eye with everything going on. I think all those concerns will be, you know, taken care of. They'll go away enough to where all these players will agree to go. Ollie Cosell, everyone, editor-in-chief at The Bird Rights. Excellent, excellent stuff today from Ollie. Ollie, 
Thanks so much for, for joining us. How can we follow you on Twitter, see some of your stuff with the bird rights? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Ollie. Sure, you can catch all of anything I do on Twitter under my full name. That's Ollie Cosell. But uh, usually we're also very heavy at SB Nation. So I don't post on Twitter as much as a lot of other people like to do. But I like to do all my <laughs> talking through either podcasts or on articles. So catch all that over at SB Nation uh, under one word, www.thebirdrights.com. There we go. Excellent stuff. Ali has been everywhere and and back, so we're going to let him go, but great, great stuff, Ali. I, I told David this last week to go take a nap, and I, I think you've deserved it this week as well. It's almost Friday, so yeah. Hey, <laughs> he's got basketball around the corner, so I'm excited too, man. I really hope they can pull this off. There we go. Thanks, Ali. So there it is, Pels fans. Super fun podcast with Ollie Cosell of The Bird Rights, editor-in-chief of The Bird Rights. And I made reference to it on the podcast a little bit, but Ollie made an appearance on Pro Pels Talk earlier this week. He's also been a recurring guest on The Bird Calls podcast. If you want to hear more from Ollie, you can head over to those podcasts here, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, et cetera. Now for this podcast here at Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans, if you want to continue to contribute to this podcast, you can head over to Twitter, go to at Elliot Clough, and you're going to find polls and, and other ways that you can engage with the podcast. You respond to those polls, you respond to any tweets pertaining to the Pelicans and this podcast, and you're going to get featured on this, not necessarily this episode, but <laughs> going forward in the Pelicans, in the, believe in the New Orleans Pelicans on this podcast. And of course, you can always hashtag what the Pell in order to ask questions or throw out some thoughts to us as well. And if you are here listening on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and any other platform as well, go ahead and subscribe or follow. Leave a rate and review. Do it! If you can, the more you do that, the more quality content we are going to be able to get you here on Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans, and that just really helps us out a lot. So we greatly, greatly appreciate it if you go ahead and do that. Go follow Believe on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and you can check out a plethora of the podcast network's other podcasts on Believe.com, or you can head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you do listen to your podcasts. Once again, you can check out some more Pelicans coverage by yours truly and some other qualified writers on Fansided's Hoops Habit page or, of course, The Bird Rights as well. Do not forget, head over to Twitter, give me a follow, and we'll be interacting with you there. And, of course, make sure to leave a rate and review on iTunes or any other podcasting platform that lets you do so that would be greatly greatly appreciated so once again i am your host elliot clough and this was believe in the new orleans pelicans
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.